0: So what what is, what is this big golden monkey about? What is this? Is This just some PR stunt. I, mean, I, th-
1: I think some PR stunt. So so yeah. So obviously it was in the news, and uh, and I'm just not sure how how the Alibaba people in Hangzhou make of this.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it is a prank. Maybe it is the the shoppy people.
1: <laughs> hey hey hey. Uh, yeah. Hey Andrew, what do you make of that monkey?
2: I think someone thought like just like everything Lazada does, right? Uh, honestly, at this point, Lazada feels like an episode of The Office. <laughs> like, like, I think someone's just like you, you know what Chinese boss, office. You know what? We should put a monkey on the outside because monkey shoppy, you know. Let's put it outside, but below the Lazada logo, and the boss like, yes, that's a great idea. You will go and execute that, and then now the Wait. monkey looks like it's taking the building down, right? <laughs> It's like Shopping Monkey (laughs) taking Lazada building down.
0: Hello, Barbarians, and welcome to episode 12B for anyone outside the Sinosphere or who was influenced by the Sinosphere, uh, episode 14 of the LLB podcast, Low Level Barbarians uh, from Asia on Asia with debate and discussion on trending topics with us, usually the man of the high ground, Dave Chang. He is currently finding higher high ground and going to the Everest base camp. So we'll have to catch his takes on a separate episode. Uh, with us, Jangan, the information super connector, sending us information about monkeys climbing on the Lazada HQ today. Very uh, interesting news that we can't really figure out. Uh, how are you, Jangan? Good. You, you look a little bit tired.
1: Yeah, it's been like that for a few months. But yeah,
2: I'm good.
0: <laughs> OK, and then uh, with us, Andrew G, wow. the master debater, As you can see, he's back in a prison cell in Malaysia. Finally,
2: back. Now I've got to escape again.
0: (laughs) All right. So let's just jump in. First topic. Uh, Everyone seems to be talking about it. Uh, Andrew, for the short term, for now, gets to take a victory lap. uh, Go to IPO. The prices have sustained the initial IPO to a degree, better so than Grab. Grab's initial debut in the NASDAQ Mm -hmm. uh, back uh, in a few months ago, right? Was it dropped 20%. 21% 21% on the first day. GoTo's price was very stable up until recently, where it's dropped about 18% across the few weeks that it IPO'd from April 11th till now, which is now April 26. Uh, so that's the the question is, you know, what is going on with the price? Will it sustain? What do you think is happening? Um, does anyone want to, does anyone have any hot takes first? Or if not, I could maybe give some thoughts.
2: Go for it, Alex. You should launch.
0: Well, I mean, for me, when I was thinking about like, you know, how could we explain, you know, stock prices, especially in the short term, which are not always very meaningful, um, there's a lot to kind of understand. But I guess I could give my my framework of how I was thinking about it. And I was looking right away to volume and liquidity. Right. And I think, you know, if any meaningful stock price movement, real clear signals are accompanied with very strong volume, which is you know, typically above, well above the average. Right. Uh, So, you know, before we dive into it, I think that's something that we can consider to look at. You know, I'll I'll probably compare something about Grab and the volume movements versus their price versus go to what we've been seeing. Um, Aside from that, you know, I think primarily what we have been seeing is a difference of lockup periods in regions. So I had to dig into this. Right. So I don't know what the securities regulation is called in Indonesia, like the BAPE PAM or something kept coming up. Uh, I I don't know. Let's just call it the Securities Exchange Commission. But. It is actually mandated in securities law that anyone who has acquired shares six months before the registration date, which I'm assuming would be April 11th for GoTo, below or at the IPO price will be locked up for eight months, right? So whereas you contrast this to the Grab IPO or the NASDAQ, there are actually no official securities law that say you need a lockup. But in, in fact, it's mandated from the investment banks, lawyers, or the actual, you know, company itself just as a default, right? And that's typically anywhere from 90 days to 180 days. Um, So kind of what we're seeing is that, you know, uh, anyone who is subjected to this are probably the biggest shareholders, early investors, right? Which would be like VCs, employees, angel investors, um, and the only people who are not actually locked into this for the Indonesia Stock Exchange are actually government, municipal governments, and also certain banking restructuring agencies tied to the shares, right? So any movement we're seeing is retail or a combination of maybe government unloading stocks, right? Um, so I think it was very interesting to see that, you know on the first day, there was some class of shares for grab on their IPO that allowed a 21% drop, whereas I think maybe there was much stricter lockups for Indonesia, right? Um, and you could even see, though, after Grab's initial 20% drop, it was quite consistent for a few weeks around like the 6 to $9 range, right? And then only on March 28th, 175 million shares were traded on a down day on March 28th, which is before that, the average was roughly 20 to 30 million shares a day. And that was significantly, I don't know, some class of shares like in a big way were allowed to... Sh- uh, probably sell before the lockup period and then on March 3rd exactly 90 days 160 million shares against you know the 20 30 million average were traded down further to the current prices We're seeing around two to three dollars, right? So it was very clear to me I didn't, I didn't look into the s1 filings you could look into the s1 filings if you want to find the exact You know lockup terms or whatever but it was clear to me that there was a 90 day lockup for grab shares and then um, That coincided with a quarterly results, right? So with go to you know, um, it seems to be a lot bigger float or there's a lot more liquidity because on the IPO day, there were 9 billion shares traded. Whereas Grab, you know, we're only talking, you know, to the 30 to a hundred million dollars, hundred million shares range. Right. So we're, there's a lot more shares. There's a lot more liquidity on the Grab. I go to IPO. In terms
2: of value it's nowhere closer huh? Cause it's 300. Of course. 38 yeah. Rupiah per share, 9 billion shares versus $11 per share for the initial trading price. Right. Times 6 billion.
0: Yeah, correct. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's for, it could just be a representation that there's more value being traded from from the share price, right? Um, but it's been trading, you know, after the nine billion shares that were traded on the initial IPO, it's been a three to four billion range, with the exception of April twentieth and April twenty second, where there were down days of you know five to six billion shares. So it's very meaningful movements down, but still overall, it's still at at, at very close to its IPO market cap valuation, right? Um, but it's still too early. Right. If you have an eight month lockup, the next two quarters are super critical of whether, you know, this maintains or, you know, it gets adjusted mark to market to whatever, you know, revenue is coming in, whatever GMV is coming, in, whatever profitability is coming in in the next two quarters or I guess, you know, two and a half quarters because eight months. Right. So um, so I think it's very interesting that it's it could be a combination that it's just still, you know, early lockup periods. Uh, quarterly quarterly performance are going to matter a lot. I would look to the volume, you know, if any movements are happening It's um, either that or fundamentally people are just holding, you know, maybe your thesis Andrew from you know if Everyone wants to catch Andrew's uh, I talked we talked about this uh, on his thoughts about go to you know a few weeks ago on the master debater episode um, You know, it, it could be you're right, you know, maybe these people believe that this is just exposure to Indonesia. And they're holding right so and if the quarterly results are strong, people will continue to hold. So um, if not, the I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think this is going to sustain post lockup? Do you think that uh, there's enough institutional money, government money holding uh, retail? You know, there's enough Indonesian retail investors that really believe like this is my way of life, you know, whereas uh, you know then grab has to compete to chip with that market share, right? Because they only raised 1.1 $1. $1 billion that signals a lot Right. Are they going to be profitable soon? Is that what it means or they don't need as much money? Because grab has a much bigger war chest of course spread across more countries. So uh, I don't know Andrew. What do you think?
2: Um, so I actually am going to be the wet blanket this time around I think uh, Yeah, so my take is actually they're not doing so well. Like if you look at the stock price, it's dropped a lot in the last few weeks right like it started it the launch price was somewhere close yeah. to 380 rupees per, se- per, per share now it's trading at closer to three twenty-three one three one zero, 310 right uh, oh, yeah. and and if you look at the volume um, I could be wrong I need to like look into the data a bit back it sounds like companies doing buybacks right to sustain the price of the stock right so if you look at the volume changes over the last few uh, the last few days a lot of them has been looks like uh, purchasing from the company to stabilize the share price and just try to maintain the stock price which means they're burning mm. cash they burning cash to keep the stock price steady right um, what I understand is they, they they are currently like they have a green shoe option right mm. and uh, the brokers being a stabilizer for um, I'm not sure who's the broker but I, I knew in the beginning that they were planning to do this I'm not sure how long they're planning to do this and to do- typically with the green shoe
1: do you want to explain green shoe to the
2: audience yeah I mean basically there's a there's a there's a fixed price that you want to maintain for the overall price of the stock and you purchase uh prices to try to sustain the the price of the stock while presumably taking your cash balance off right to sustain the price so you're you're essentially you're essentially increasing your share in the company at a price that may not be what the market wants to but typically there is a max cap that they will allow the broker to buy uh um and I think in their case it's somewhere around the ballpark of 6 billion shares right now if you do that yeah. and you hit the cap you have no choice but to allow it to slide and I think now it's already slid to where it is right now with the green shoe option if they remove that off the table it's probably going to slide further so I actually don't think it's a uh, very positive I think you're going to see a decline in the next few uh weeks
1: okay Jangan. Yeah, I think that there was quite a bit of a discussion about the, the green shoe option um, by the by the underwriters who which were trying to sustain the price. But if you look at, I mean, the the size of Go Two uh, of its current valuation versus the total market size of uh, yeah. Indonesia Stock Exchange IDX, uh, I think at the day of IPO, it's like nine percent. Um, I took a bit. Uh, I took a look at. Uh, I mean, how index funds in Indonesia are structured, and apparently, that many of them are just tracking exactly the composition of uh, of idx as a whole. So, so which means uh, institutions who invest in index in Indonesia would have to um, would allocate. Okay. And uh, and of course, I mean, um, we, we heard some people talking about uh, sort of underweight or whatever, but uh, but 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 we do underweight. If you start from zero, you have to. <laughs> you you still have to. to, to 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 basically add something into your portfolio. So 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 I think overall. Um. So when when Grab went for IPO, I think there was quite a bit of debate of uh, whether the value was too much. Um. Uh, but uh, but when go to went for IPO, I mean, if you talk to any informed informed investor, they will tell you that okay, this, this valuation is too much, and uh, and there's no there's yeah. there's no way fundamentalists can be sustained. But of course, people people do not know. Um how how the rules play out for large tech stocks in idx because that was the first one i mean Bak- bakalapa is uh, c- comparable is much smaller so and uh and probably mm. in the market there's there, there isn't much uh um sort of float there for you to for you to borrow to short and, and right. um and i think uh, i think facing this uncertainty i mean people probably didn't want to short because you never know what will happen in the short-
0: you can't short in indonesia i, ch- I checked it out i, I don't it's uh, they banned it in 2020 oh, they you in can't actually days. find okay. a way to so there's no yeah so there's like no such thing as a short squeeze where you're going to see prices people trying to cover mm. shorts like actual i saw like in, in the the prices recently in the past week there was mm. a pop-up you know in price and i thought maybe it was short squeezes where you know short covers are covering mm. for profits but It's just people actually positioning in, I guess, you know, so it it could be like what you just maybe they're allocators or this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, like this, I mean, this could lead to your credence, to your your theory, um, Andrew, where if this is the only option for a monster country in the region, that's going to be a huge percentage of the world population and, you know, contribution of output going forward, you know, it I mean, this is still very frontier stuff. Right. So I, I don't know, like it's hard to compare for this graph because you're sitting in US with much more mature markets. Yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. investors who don't know much about Southeast Asia. But if it's institutional money here who's there for the long haul, maybe this represents a new premium that it's quite normal that we see a like loss making companies that list on the Nasdaq, uh, but command higher, you know, multiples. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, how, that, so just two quick comments there. Right? So
2: I'm not sure, first of all, that you can actually short uh, go to someone correct me if i'm wrong you can't you can't right yeah, yeah. you can yeah it's, it's it's illegal exactly exactly so in that sense like you don't really have a, a risk of a short squeeze yeah correct so
0: yeah so if any any upward movements that you kind of saw were actually people positioning in there hmm. right it has to be people actually buying it in substantial amounts relative to again you could check relative to the volume right
2: yeah so. um Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's multiple ways that could happen, right? If you have a stabilization. So if the book is if the broker is buying to try to get it back to the upward price, but the trades have to happen, you may see a slight upward correction by 10, 15 percent above the price. Right. But you can't get much beyond that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So to clarify, what you guys were saying is it it's the brokers who are like have a deal with the company to try and maintain the price. Yeah. So, so just, okay, period, let, let, let me time. do a, a
2: better explanation. So basically, when you have a, an IPO, you can choose to have a green shoe option. And that basically means that the broker tries to stabilize the price after the deal starts, right? The broker can yeah. buy from existing shareholders or buy from the company if the company is also an existing shareholder. And the job is to yeah. keep that price stable. Typically, they'll buy it you know, from the open market. Um, but you can also buy it back from the company um and there's a maximum cap that they're willing to invest to get to that typically in in terms of like total number of shares that that can be paid for yeah um
0: well i'm, I'm assuming this is with market making liquidity activities off their own balance sheet of the broker right is that is that what it is
2: correct in this case it's really hard to say right go to itself could be could be yeah. paying for it
0: uh but okay you put that so what? They take the IPO money and pay back a certain percentage for think, maintaining a price. Correct.
2: Balance sheet money to maintain the price. Yeah.
0: It, it's, it's, so- yeah. I mean, I guess someone
2: could, act if yeah. A lot of companies sure. do that, right? In very illiquid markets like Malaysia, you yeah. find like the largest companies in Malaysia. Also- okay.
0: Yeah. I can believe that. Yeah. So- I mean, that's kind of wild. If, that that's the case, because that's not really capital efficient at all, right? But honestly, so, that's
2: the way the stock market works. If you look at even the US, stock buybacks is how a lot of companies like what a lot of companies do with their profits. It's like ridiculous, right?
0: Well, after operating a profitable machine, right, is not usually after IPO or I'm not No, any... no.
2: Continuous. Like you, you see old companies doing this.
1: So, yeah. so so, basically we have a consensus that uh, that whatever we have seen is uh, is is a number of the technical factors which are sort of uh, sustaining the price for the first yeah. few days and uh, of course now we we Good. are starting to see a slide and i think as of today it has uh, has dropped uh, cumulatively about 18 to 19 percent from the ipo price so yeah. so so of course i mean people are going to watch very closely uh, the next few quarters uh, the results and the competition is still fierce so yeah, yeah. so it's uh
0: well, we also do you guys know the comparable numbers relative to Grab's performance? Because it seems like it'd be somewhat of a closest comparable in terms of region and size, you know, even though it's different markets. Sure. So I mean, I would expect GoTo to perform very similarly to Grab in the next well, I guess in this case it's longer. Grab had a three month lockup, what I'm guessing, right? Then it tanked all the way to its close to book value or maybe just a slight premium now. I would imagine GoTo does the same thing across a longer lockup period. That's all. Um you maybe you won't see it because they can't there's no actual selling pressure, but sentimental and psychology wise towards the end of that lockup period, you're gonna see that happening probably so I don't know, my guess is the comparable is that it will also tank in a similar way you know to so relative to the financial performance, which be I think is not too far from grabs, or am I wrong there?
2: J, you should go
0: yeah, do you know the numbers? I don't know the numbers of go to, so I haven't looked I, at
2: that I
1: have a colleague who who actually went through the the, the nine hundred plus pages of uh of uh of go to prospectors and she wrote actually a, a memo that uh that's still my desk i haven't got a chance to read because um
0: I, I, oh. you could forward us as a memo man or we can get around for the next episode <laughs> honestly I,
1: di- I didn't spend too much time uh, on this per se because uh because it's sort of we sort of know that everything is driven by, by technical factors for, the, for the last few yeah. days so, yeah. so 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 we can spend lots of time trying to analyze trying to get to the details of, uh, of how exactly things things are doing but um but yeah. but fundamentally, we know this. This valuation that, uh, that, that, yeah, yeah, that, that 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 correct, yeah. That 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 in a free market, uh, can't be sustained. So, so, the question is that uh, okay, what's going to happen next? And uh, and, and of course, we are all also in this uh, macro uncertainties, which 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 add to the to the volatility. So, so the question is yeah. what's going what's going to happen yeah. next? And what's going to be the impact on on the other companies which are trying to go for IPO? I mean, yeah. you have a bunch of companies. Which are at like you know ridiculous valuations? I mean, Zendid, Agive, et cetera, etc., etc. I mean, what's going to happen to them? Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah. I miss mean, a very good point. Like, I mean, like it. I almost feel that this might be too esoteric for the audience because this essentially this is kind of like work that hedge fund people do to trying to figure mm-hmm. out a trade, right? You're trying to understand a certain amount of timing and technical factors, and you're trying to time it so that you can make a profit off a movement, right? So, but fundamentally, it's no different than probably what I think what we've talked about in the past of, you know, performance valuation of you know, big tech companies in the region. So, Alex, uh, with that in case, maybe we can Alex, to, Let, let uh, me ask what? you a
1: question. I mean, I, I think it's about like 10 years ago that you jumped from a hedge fund to, to building company emerging markets in Southeast Asia. I mean, compare these two experiences. Yeah. Would you say that you would have been better uh, stayed in a hedge fund? Yeah. I, no,
0: no, I, I, I was very much a macro technical mm. guy. I, I felt that the past 10 years helped me come full circle especially if I'm going to like the equity space or understanding a company, like I, what I realize, like what a hedge fund guy from a PE guy to what a VC does, we're all in the same coin, just different parts of it or different sides yeah. of it, right? You know, if you're executing as a founder, you're on the other side. If you're an investor, you're just a different different areas of the coin, but it's the same coin, right? So I think being operating for 10 plus years, trying to build from big scale to trying to bootstrap and failing terribly that, you know, it's it really just makes you a better investor overall. So I think if I go back to... Like a hedge fund or PE kind of structure, you know, it just adds more value over time, you know. So, yeah, I, I don't think I would. I, I don't know. Maybe I could have been a decent hedge fund guy. Who knows? But that's long gone. <laughs> that
1: shit has. Yeah, well, well, lots of things could have been said if we chose different path at different points of our lives. But, uh, but that's not for totally there. That's we do not have before. to do
2: this podcast yeah. every two weeks.
0: Yeah, well, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. It would be about hedge funds instead. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, uh, speaking of large tech companies that don't perform well, next topic is Zlingo, SEA's own Theranos, I guess you could say. Um, Earlier in April, the CEO of the fashion startup Zlingo, Ankiti Bose, Bose? how do you say it?
2: Bose. Bose Bose.
0: was suspended, right? uh, Zlingo is a B2B technology platform that powers global apparel supply chain with innovative solutions for production and sourcing and trade. Uh, that's taken off the website. I have no clue what that means. Uh, we ha- uh, Zhang and I have a mutual friend who works directly in Shenzhen in supply chain and fashion to a degree. And he tried using their platform many years ago and also couldn't understand what they do. He couldn't find value out of it. Um, I, th- I think they make a lot of their money from... Initially was from helping small small merchants scale and then they have this like a SaaS platform that try to charge and there's also a marketplace where they take a cut of But apparently, you know, uh, they were trying to raise money about 150 to 200 million earlier in April with Goldman Sachs group uh, And they and then some of the investors started questioning some of their accounting practices, which led to audits from their existing investors, which was Temasek and uh, Sequoia which led to the CEO Ankita Bose being suspended and currently uh, a few days ago are currently talking about fully replacing her. Right. So, and I guess, I guess the the initial topic that Jangan wanted to talk about was, you know, governance uh, and all, you know, how does this happen? Um, And we did mention other companies in the past that we, you know, we did a whole episode on companies that that might be like this. Um, So, I guess it's just coming to head again. You know, I think a lot of things we said in the past episode still are relevant now. Uh, but maybe there's some more things we could embellish upon, especially in the in the context of Zlingo. Um, and I think previously, you know, when we had Dave, um, you know, the man of the high ground here, you know, Jangan, I think even Andrew, like everyone has some friends who either invested or quite quite close to the situation. So maybe we have shied away from it. But now that it's officially the news, maybe we get some more deeper insights. So Jangan, what, what is your take of what's happening with Zlingo? Um, what's going on? How did we even get here and is this like the first as many to come or do you think this is a one off thing and in general we've been in a good environment and with good practice? Or what do
1: we need to change to maybe think, get there? I think in region there are lots of companies where you are a little bit sort of uh, skeptical whether the business model will work. And um, and typically what we yeah. would do is that we try to educate ourselves. Right? We, try, we try to talk to different people. Maybe there's something that's missing yeah. that we don't see. Uh, the question about Zilingo is that, uh, I mean, uh, Honestly, I mean, I've seen their texts for multiple rounds. I've seen lots of documents that they have okay. that, that, that sent to investors. Uh, I just, I just, I just couldn't figure out what exactly the business model is. Uh, I, I actually have a version which—that <laughs> was going to be my question. I too. actually have a version in the, in front of me that was published. I, I don't know, it's not labeled, so I don't know which year that was. So basically, basically, the it, it I mean, the tagline says that our platform unlocks value across the entire supply chain. There were six businesses, which are the six businesses. First, B2C marketplace called Zlingo. Second, B2B marketplace called ZlingoAsiaMore.com. Third, private label as a service called Label by Zlingo. Fourth, um, a seller tool called ePost and inventory, uh, sorry, ePost and inventory management tool called ZSeller. Fifth, a trend forecasting tool called ZTrends. Sixth, FinTech, which, uh, which has an interest logo with, uh, with oh my God. the with letter FC yeah. in it. Yeah. And, um, and 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 basically the numbers that we we're talking about is that, okay, 1 million plus monthly active users, 2 million plus products available, uh, 9 million GMV, $9 million GMV per month, et cetera, et cetera. Access to 11,000 unique long tail merchants. Um, I think for, for, for the, the, those of you in the audience who have looked at that or invested in Zlingo at different stages, you probably recognize these numbers and you probably uh, be able to reconcile which which period this deck was created um, but 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 essentially I mean the, the problem I have is that um, uh, many years ago I was I mean okay let me, let me detour a little bit a few years ago uh 2016 2017 I was in Dubai for a while and uh, I was actually advising a, a Chinese cross-border e-commerce, e-commerce company that was active in the Middle East um, so, so, so it was interesting for me um, to, to actually look into their operations, I mean, how they plug in the supply chain, uh, how they run the marketing, how they figure out the, 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 the fulfillment issues, the inventory issues, um, the, 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 the payment issues, uh, et, cetera, et cetera, along the way. And, um, and my biggest feeling at that time was that uh, I mean, it's, it was incredibly difficult to get the supply chain to act coherently. So, so there was another company that, uh, that some of the investors were looking at at that moment. And almost everybody, everybody was saying that, hey, this company is not going to make it because uh, it was very slow. Yeah. And and guess what company that was? Uh, this company called com- Shein, oh. so So, 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 <laughs> well, so everyone okay, was saying okay. that, okay, the founder doesn't spend time to grow the business. He spends so much time sort of uh, dealing with the factories, trying to figure out, I mean, how to how to make some minute uh, improvements, which probably do not do not matter at that point of time.
2: Mm. Um, fast mm. forward a few
1: years, and uh, and uh, many of the companies that cross border e-commerce companies uh, that has a strong supply chain element uh, are not sustaining because uh, because there's so many issues with, with with the supply chain that they couldn't figure out. I mean, at the 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 ERP, the processes. I mean, how do they pay mm. all all the suppliers mm. on time, mm. and mm. Mm. how do they sort mm. of sort of order sort of small volumes uh, to test the market but still have the confidence of the um of the factories that they are going to make small okay. volumes, okay. etc et i mean these are the things that uh, the she no. has figured out quite well uh then they, they, i think by chance i was uh, i was in Bandung, indonesia i was talking to 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 to, to some of my friends friends who were sort of running textile factories in, in that area um had, and my profound sense is that um um the supply chain in southeast asia is not as efficiently organized as the supply chain in China. So, so, so basically if you create this business, I mean, you can argue both ways, right? You can argue that, okay, there's a big opportunity because the supply chain is not as well organized. But you can also, also argue, argue on, on the flip side of the coin is that, um, um, for you to, to make the supply chain efficient in Southeast Asia, you need to operate in a much more efficient way compared to your, your counterparts in China. So, so they, they, they look at zlingo's team, look at the, the way they're pitching their business, look at the way they organize their product, etc. And that doesn't give you confidence that, that they can crack the whole supply chain and make it efficient and and, and as a result, rip some value from it.
0: Well, wait, so Z- zlingo they're their pitch was too big. I mean, essentially what I, from what you said, what I understand is that there is a lot of pain point and friction and value that can be yeah. created. Right. And I think she, actually manifested that. Right. So it's, it's a bunch of minute optimizations that add up to a big picture, but he focused it into a vertical of fashion e-commerce where you can reap a lot of value by making those micro, it's just an optimization, right? That that's the, like the, the, Play in. I guess, yeah, if you're not a good storyteller back then, it seems crazy. But so, in theory, like I think what Zilingo is trying to do the same thing, but for Southeast Asia. Because my understanding was that if you're trying to build a Zilingo, and I was talking to my, um, you know, Rajan about this, who's based in, in Shenzhen, and he's like, China has all the infrastructure. Yes, there's a bunch of smaller players, you know, like in Vietnam. In uh, you know Sri Lanka or other places, but there's no way like if you're trying to build this kind of ecosystem or to solve the problems in a space that you can ignore China. So, w- w- are you trying to say that when Ziling was pitching that this was purely a Southeast Asian play and it didn't really like all this like you know optimizations for Southeast Asia was supposed um, to be I mean, like a unicorn or did they not
2: start in India?
0: Sorry, go ahead. That's why I thought. What did you say? He said that they did they start in India
1: uh I, I'm not sure exactly where they started but uh, but the story I've seen uh of that particular year was definitely a, a Southeast Asia focused story and uh, I, I think later on they went to the US as well right yeah. which, which which I would think that it's um, correct yeah it's, it's it's as much as uh, as a way to to develop a more lucrative market because she makes a huge in the US and 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 also to 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 tell you investor yeah. investor much bigger story but, but 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 my problem is that I mean if you look at the supply chain itself, I mean, if you try to make the supply chain more efficient, um, instead of just uh, just being a pure marketplace, um, you need a lot of refined operations. You need to be very efficient in many different things to, to make it work. And uh, and I, I, I don't think, well, that, I mean, it's easy to do that. So 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 they, they, they probably need to be more efficient than, than the companies in China.
0: I, I don't even think mm. that, though. I, I think it's that they just needed to focus on one part of their stack. Right? It's so fragmented and it's just not an easy problem to solve. I, I think why Shein works is because they optimize it just for themselves. Mm. This is like kind of like an ecosystem play that you know. You have, I think you have to go further down the stack, focus on one thing that make it really works and then try the next vertical that connects yeah, to guys, it. The, like the you fundamental just, basis just, of
2: Shein and Lingo are very different, right? So, so let's, yeah, let's get some yeah. context here. So... Shein is about this idea that people want fast fashion, and fast fashion needs are so different that if you could create a way to combine just-in-time manufacturing with moving dynamics of trends um, and create yeah. a feedback loop where influencers. so so they okay let's let's go to the genesis of this. There was a startup called Ruun uh, R U H N in China that was all about. Um, creating brands around influencers you have an influencer who posts up a video in taoyin and then like yeah. you know they have a specific product they're wearing that product sales would go up on on alibaba right uh, sorry on okay. on uh, on taobao and so after seeing that connection between what influencers were able to do this company rune said hey what if we could create a way where we create that product, we go to the influencer. The influencer markets that product, and then we manufacture that product to meet needs based on that influencer's views. Right. So we, if we could speed up that process of manufacturing versus uh, content production, you would have this amazing machine down here. Shein kind of capitalized on that idea. They were like, instead of just using influencers, what are some other ways that we could do And if you think about it, they are one of the largest advertisers on TikTok right now, right? globally, right? is Shein. Shein's growth parallels the growth of TikTok in Western markets so closely that you it's really just like taking what Roon and uh, did with its relationship with Taobao and Toyin. And it's like basically amplified that in a ridiculous way. So Shein is a combination really knowing well how to do content marketing to teens on fast uh, social feeds. right? Mm-hmm. Compile that with just-in-time manufacturing and then be able to feedback mm-hmm. and optimize across the, yeah, the value right. chain in such a way that you have really low margins. And so in that way, it's very different. When people compare Shein to Zara, like Shein is, is completely dwarfing Uniqlo, it's dwarfing HM. And it's like soon to catch up to Zara, right? Like it will be the largest manufacturer of fast fashion yeah. in like two to three years' time. So it's a very different beast from these guys, but it's also very different from Zilingo. Like they're not even the same ballpark. Zilingo started because uh, these guys went to Bangkok, they saw like, so, so it's a story very similar to what Shopee does today, right? Basically they saw what we today call Instagram sellers, but back then we just like small medium True. shop yes, operators in merchants. Indonesia and yep. in Bangkok and Vietnam selling like fashion apparel out of their stores. And they were like, Hey, there's this, there's this bottom slash mid market that's outside of fast fashion. If we could capture these guys and put them on a platform, we could do something right. Problem is fashion is really, really hard. Trends change, everybody has all kinds of different products. Zilingo also, if I'm not wrong, also ended up doing retail. They bought stuff and they were selling stuff. And retail in fashion is is just painful because like there's a huge amount of inventory risk. When trends change, people suddenly don't want to buy stuff. If seasonality changes or Raya is over, suddenly you have all this inventory that you don't know what to do about, right? So as a result, Zilingo had like lots of issues with this stuff. And typically what businesses try to do then is they're like, hey, can we optimize the bottom of the funnel, right? And it's what Alibaba calls B2B2C, right? So you've got the B2C front end. What can you optimize in the B2B side by either reducing cost of logistics, streamlining order management. If you could like bucket multiple orders together and make one big order and then the marketplace merchants all have it, you would then have like price synergies or reduction cost of logistics and supply chain, right? so Zilingo is trying to do that yeah. stuff the problem is they were trying to do this in a market where like predominantly Indonesia but also in, in the other markets where Shopee Tokopedia uh, and Bukalapak and these others were like throwing money down getting mostly the same groups of consumers except there's multi-category right and then trying to recruit what we yeah. what we now call as Instagram sellers right who predominantly do all their trades on WhatsApp and Instagram so Zilingo's market base is you know starts to diminish The consumer base acquisition cost starts to become more expensive for them because they're focused on purely fashion, whereas Shopee and Tokopedia are all like multi-category, right? And so, if you think about it, there's no way you can justify the um, the baseline assumptions of growing a business like that in a market that's this competitive, unless you have a real differentiator, and in which case they didn't. I'm not saying Zilingo's business model isn't going to make sense, like, and this is like a pure winner takes all. I think what happened was they were trying to get a billion-dollar valuation to be a unicorn, and in that process, they did some fudging. That's what I understand from like the the crisis, and like this rush to be a unicorn and mean man doing some funky accounting stuff, and then Tamasik just like called a red flag. Right? I don't know what the details are. I don't know. I don't have any goss. Yeah. Well, yeah
0: what what is their main business model i still can't grasp it because initially that's the genesis like to me the genesis sounds the same it's not too far off from xian right it's just they don't do for, the actual manufacturing versus, they don't they don't like it's basically it's
2: a marketplace it's a marketplace, it's a marketplace and they help the mer- merchants import from china but i don't know where they monetize i think they monetize purely from commissions on the front end i don't but, think they monetize in the back end Oh no, they don't have to cut but 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 if you look
1: at I don't if, you know. do, if you look at the manufacturing per se, right, Andrew, you mentioned that they're working a lot with the Instagram sellers who have their own designs, and, and these are the guys who probably can't produce, I don't know, 10,000 pieces of, of a particular sort of SKU or particular design easily. And if you look at the number of manufacturers that she is working with, um, I can't remember the exact, exact numbers, but it's not that many. It's probably in the lower okay. hundreds. Yeah.
0: Well... My 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 whole take on this, and it could be wrong, is that it, the Genesis was very similar, where they're trying to help these small merchants scale, but they just went off and did too many things without focus, right? And then, of course, you raise too much money that's very shallow, then you really don't have clarity of what to do, and it just leads you trying to do everything, and it's just you're, you become a jack of all trades, and you didn't actually create any value. Like uh, my friend actually tried a few years ago putting a very significant order for P, a, a big PO onto it. There was just no liquidity in the marketplace. Like they had like their own team trying to go in between the two people. And then, you know, there was a few communications and it dropped and we're talking like a significant PO in the millions, right? So um, it's just, it was not here nor there. And then I guess what happens is it's easier to lie than you end up trying to fudge numbers. Like that will come up in the court if there's any criminality or whatever. It's just, you know, it's, again, we shouldn't fault people. Like, we like you know, we might be overly negative sometimes. It's okay to fail and to try but I, like I, it, it does seem this is pointing in a much more nefarious I think, way. I think, I, guess. I think Alex,
1: I mean, um, so so we' try to analyze things like this, right? I mean, I mean, things things blow up. Uh, I, th- I think I think one thing which is always important is to yeah. understand the psyche of, of of the person in that seat, right. So so in Chinese we have a saying yeah. called called Sha, which is, means that, okay, you 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 basically blow someone to really, really high position and uh and and they yeah. they they dump the person in the free fall because um because the thing is that I mean if you look at some of these companies and Theranos are or whatever so um so 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 the market investors i mean whoever who who in the ecosystem were giving them lots of applaud that i mean and, and, and in a yeah. way makes yeah. makes the founder um 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 stuck in a situation where i mean if things don't work, what do you do i mean fake it until until you make it i mean if it still doesn't work, what yeah. do you do? I mean, I think the same mentality as uh, those we, we we usually call what uh, rock traders. I mean, you, you, if you make a big loss, what do you do?
0: Oh yeah, you double double on, down. You, you yeah.
1: try to cover it, and and uh, and it probably worked extra hard to, to to make things work. I mean, all this all these new businesses which were added to that will, will, will probably attempt to say that okay, I mean, mm-hmm. the, one particular business is not that big. Hey, let's add, add on to that. I mean, if we can crack this code. Collectively, it's going to be a massive market, and um, and and it's going to make sense suddenly. So, but 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 the problem is that, yeah. and precisely as I said in the beginning, right? I mean, it's just so much friction in the market, uh, or in each of these aspects. And uh, uh, I'm not saying that it's impossible for them to compete against Shopee, Tokabita or whatever, but for them to do that effectively, they need to be much much more efficient, uh, which. Um, which which I think given the talent base they are able to tap tap into given the experience they're able to sort of leverage it's 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 a very difficult job
2: I'm just looking at their site and like their worldwide site is actually really different like it's purely like it seems like they have three yeah so they have basically three solutions that they're pushing right so one is they do sourcing so it's b2b sourcing of of products directly from markets where textiles are famous in Mm. and then it's optimizing factory operations which i did not know they had that's pretty cool mm-hmm. um it seems like you know like it's similar to what like inventory management solutions do but more than that it's looking at like defect rates reject rates processing uh modules for basically factory management i don't know if they developed an in-house or M&A, but it's kind of impressive that they have that so it's like cutting sewing finishing packing like end-to-end management and then they've got the like omni-channel e-commerce and inventory management solution right with marketing etc it's pretty cool it's like end-to-end management for all apparel management so Um, so
1: so basically it's 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 a very 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 tough job to crack and do it well in a way i mean yeah but they have a
2: very clear target market right it's basically anyone who's in the fashion business um end-to-end end, all the way from manufacturing and they provide the basically the the tech the intelligence to do that at least that's what the worldwide site looks like it is on I, maybe, I, I maybe trying to pivot out of the marketplace because like sell on zilingo is like i think so are, yeah i think
0: so it, it seems like if you look at what you read old, old in the news versus now and what you see in the website the product yeah i think they it wasn't working they're trying to get away from it but like it for that to work man you have to go straight to China man that's where all the manufacturing sits you know and I don't know man fashion. Textiles, India
2: Bangladesh Nepal the the south indian connection raw materials
0: pretty. but the manufacturing will happen in China man it's no just, la, no,
1: la, no, la, no la. manufacturing no textile
2: la, la. textile textile not true textile not true manufacturing for fashion not true i mean even like Patagonia North Face all these outdoor brands still do it in Vietnam Myanmar Malaysia um Nike produces in Malaysia. If you look at H&M, Uniqlo, it's all like Nepal, Bangladesh, right? Because textile is like massive in but, South India. But,
1: but Andrew, I mean, if you want to, if you, I mean, if you do fast fashion, if you want things to be to be highly responsive, especially in the e-commerce manner that she is doing, and uh, you probably need to do it in China. So, uh, the uncle of of a of, of a primary school classmate of mine uh, runs a, a sort of a textile manufacturer uh, in my hometown. I visited him a few times the uh, last few years. So, so, so he started by taking, uh, orders from Walmart. So he, he remember those days, right? Oh, I wow. mean, what order came in through, through a, um, through a trading yeah. company, 50,000 pieces of t-shirt at, at one go, mm-hmm. and very, very thin margin. And, uh, I think about yeah. 2013, 2014, he said, I, I could no longer do Walmart orders because, uh, because the salary cost, the, the environmental mm-hmm. inspection cost, and yeah. everything adds together doesn't make money anymore. So, so they, they come in Vietnam now. The, the, the companies like she came, came into the picture they said that okay um so 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 we are going to make, make it much more efficient and, uh, and and you are able to 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 produce small quantitative things if it works and you can you, you can you can provide large quantities and 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 what we do is that we make sure you get paid always on time so 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 this kind mm-hmm. of things helped his company survive but um, but manufacturing in a massive scale i mean for 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 large sort of Western brands in China, um, I think now it's a very difficult game. But, but that, that, in a way, pushes all these manufacturers to work with e-commerce platforms because otherwise they can't survive.
0: That's true. I mean, there's still a lot of old world industries that, that this could be applied to probably. Like, uh, it's just we're seeing it happen in, in fashion first. Um, but, let's let let's not go deeper in this, guys, though.
1: But, but, sorry, just, just one word. I mean, everybody... At, last one. Last yeah, comment. Yeah, everybody I've known who has gone deep into the supply chain will tell you that it's very, very difficult to crack, crack uh, supply chain.
0: Yeah, so I'm not too sure about our conclusions there, but let's let's move on to the next topic. Mm. Um, Netflix, first time in a decade, lost two hundred thousand subscribers and it gave further guidance in the next year to lose another two million subscribers. Uh, the stock has plunged significantly. right? I, I haven't checked the actual numbers, but, you know, it, it lost something like, well, like 50 billion in market cap, like, you know, within, across a few days or in a day, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but um, you know, I think social media has said it already, right? Like it's they're they're now in. They're trying to solve this this problem, right? They're they're talking about throwing ads into the, the mix. They're going to do advertising now, which is something they said they wouldn't do. Uh, we don't know if that means it's going to be in the free tier, like in a, a, a lower tier for lower cost, or is just going to go into the you know everyone's going to see ads now. Um, people are you know shouting on on you know to the roof that they're all going to cancel if this happens. Um, has net has netflix gotten too big for its own good is it too bloated do you think they can refocus what should they refocus on what does this look like in the face of you know further competition with strong ip like disney plus or even apple plus hbo etc um what do you guys think is netflix is solution to all this
2: sorry i just have something funny to chime in before we get into the 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 difficult part of the conversation i saw a meme this morning of like um, Netflix grabbing uTorrent and throwing it out <laughs> and then and then like behind Netflix came Disney Plus uh, HBO Go you know all these different Paramount and all the different streaming solutions right and then Netflix looks a bit worried and in the back uTorrent's back again
0: <laughs> <laughs> which just- look, that that meme really encompasses what everyone's saying in the conversation right like the reason why we do Netflix cuz it's convenient as soon as you make it not convenient they they will go back to pirating and it's so easy to
2: pirate these days you know with the technology yeah. we have yeah so, I, I think just just to call out there's a couple of interesting things about this and before i even like get into the topic of netflix like just meta it's really interesting how a company can be perceived as just like wow they did it so well it's so smart that strategy is great and then five years later we're like what idiots how did they not see this coming right like yeah. when shopee's share when c's share price was was flying we were like yeah oh my god they're so smart entering latin america and europe and they figured it all out it's so clever <laughs> man and then now it's just like trading at a third of the price that I was trading a year ago we're like yeah actually maybe not so smart right? <laughs> <laughs> Netflix, Netflix is the same thing, right? Like, you know, the last 10 years we've been saying, man, Ted Sarandos and his crew, like with just producing original content, like just not playing the game all these other players are playing, so clever, right? And just like billion dollar deals to produce original content is the smartest way you can run a a streaming business, right? And so it it seemed like the story was over, someone cracked streaming, right? But then you take, for example, I just signed up to Disney Hotstar in Malaysia last week. I've been here a week. I signed up to Disney Hotstar. You know why I signed up? It's 18 ringgit a month. It's 18 ringgit a month, right? That's six USD, five USD a month, right? Netflix costs 40 ringgit a month that's 10 USD a month doesn't seem like a massive difference but for the average you know
0: Malaysia oh, no, a massive sure.
2: difference right and if you consider yeah. that cable TV Astro in Malaysia costs you know anywhere between 100 to 200 ringgit a month like basically 25 dollars to 200 that's why Astro's share price is just getting a killing as well right so cable TV is dead Netflix came up with a super expensive product why because they have to justify high FTE costs basically people costs in LA They've got to justify marketing costs, they've got to justify the production cost of these things, right? Like yeah. you know. And, and and therefore they just ended up having like a huge cost base that they couldn't sustain. They went international and they tried to get international people to pay for the price of something that's manufactured out of out of the US. It's going to be really difficult to get that to happen. So it's not surprising. Like what's and then what happened was in the last year you suddenly have this resurgence of like HBO goes appearing in all these like
0: no. emerging
2: markets Disney plus is appearing in all these emerging markets local players are producing you know their own um, uh, apps right so Indonesia has like three or four different other leading apps now with their local content Korean apps are spreading globally and so the space for content is becoming really competitive at price points way below what uh, Netflix is charging so I'll tip, in Lee. They had a product that is too expensive in each of these markets and i don't know the details but if i'm pretty sure if you looked at the number subscriber loss is probably coming out of emerging markets and or, or even if it's across the board like since, since a lot of these services are also based out of the us not surprising that people are shifting between different service providers right the average american now has two to three uh, streaming services at a time right and if you're an apple user you have apple tv as well Yep. So it just becomes really complex, right? And then you need a layer on top to even like disintermediate between them and figure out which content you're going to watch. And so I think right now what ha- what's happened is they've got to question a lot of things, right? So baseline, how do you reduce your, your cost, right? Are you going to like, wouldn't be surprised if there's massive layoffs. And then on top of that, you've got to figure out how do you reduce content production um, um, costs. And then Netflix doesn't have anything special anymore because they don't have any special licensing rights. Um, And then you basically have, so growing revenues, you have a bunch of different options, right? You either try to grow your subscription base by trying to cheapen the product uh, or supplement revenues with an alternative product like ads, or you start to find high watchability products that have licensing. They can't really yeah. play with any of the real uh, studios, which means there's a possibility Netflix may play the sports game, right? Which for a long time they said they never will. But like I wouldn't be surprised if they sign a massive sports licensing deal just to get like DAU up, right? Then you get DAU yeah. up, you figure out how to monitor so so ultimately there's a multi-prong strategy to get more, right for local the domestic market which is the strongest in the US and possibly Europe, how do you keep strength there? And that's possibly increasing our like increasing DAO, right? and increasing now will increase stickiness, And therefore you can possibly increase like how much people are willing to pay for the product. And then in other markets, they've got to figure out how to introduce a lower tier. And if that means sustaining it with pricing or subsidizing via growth in the uh, uh, developed markets, that could be the strategy, right? And then the last bit is just like figuring out what they're going to do in production, because that's massively expensive no. for them. And it's hard to justify.
0: I so- mean, if I'm to kind of simplify Let's simplify what you say and what what i kind of understood of the situation was that netflix just never really left user acquisition mode right they were just canceling you know a lot of content people love they never really focused on the retention sp- retention piece where you know which is essentially in this business it's just really good fucking content at the end of the day like right? stuff that people want to watch and you know if it keeps getting cheaper and cheaper yes there's you know you're trying to fill the void of general tv there is that element but you know long-term stickiness is the, the content that people want and they've just been too focused on trying to acquire it. and i think maybe that's just a tipping point you know maybe now they it's this is just a natural size of where it is and with competition that gets even harder to balance though they can't just rely on a monopoly anymore so it but just sounds the, like
2: competition is stellar right if you
0: think about like yeah. Disney Plus, way smaller yeah
2: no no it's all also good stellar IPs. stellar yeah. is, it, is it like the content they have on it, the ip the watchability of it like, um, I mean, and and the production quality is really good and they figured out how to basically monetize universes of content with strong amounts of synergy, right? Yeah. Like, I, I'm on Facebook. I'm seeing all these, like, reviews about Moon Knight um, and it, it yeah. sounds like, like, they, like they figured out a machine with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They figured out a machine with the Star Wars Universe. They figured out a machine yeah. with Pixar. And it, they're just, like, they're focused. They're very focused.
0: Good that a subpar product, it doesn't really matter, you know, like, cause I feel like Netflix has a better streaming service product, not, not the content, right. Just like the platform technology itself is so much better, but you know, Disney, like I act- we don't actually have Disney plus, they have a lot of weird pockets of licensing agreements around the world. So we have Disney hot star, right? So it's, it's not as, you know, fluid as an experience as Netflix, but um, it's just, they have better IP content. That's what matters fundamentally for the business for the long term, I think. And I think that's what Netflix kind of lost, you know, uh, Jangan, you were trying to say something.
1: No, uh, that, that was that was more of a question because for a long time yeah. I I do imagine that for a long time people were saying that okay Netflix strategy is so smart and uh, and one thing they were doing is that they were trying to monopolize the content right or monopolize people's screen time. So, so in the sense that you only have I don't know twelve hours a day that you can watch TV every day, and yeah. uh, and, and, and and they're going to stuff you with enough content that you want to watch or you. you, you you don't mind zapping around so so that you don't have time for other stuff so so the question i mean and because of that they have invested in a lot of content I and mean, you look at lots of netflix originals and even to this day i mean i mean i think bulk of the content will just cater to a very small audience and you will never reach mainstream uh, appeal so so the question is that um does it make sense for them to produce so much content uh was that a strategy yeah. to catch up with the inventory that a uh, player like Disney or HBO would have because they've been producing content no. for decades? Um, uh, and, and having a lot of content, uh, having that perceived sort of efficiency in, in capital, or cost of capital, um, does that make any difference versus? I mean, if you look at HD, HD produces nowhere as as much content as as Netflix. But uh, but they have they have a few shows that that sort of must watch, right? I mean, people will tell each other to to subscribe because they want to watch this show. Um, you, you used to have that in Netflix a lot, but uh, but, I, but but other sense, I mean, it might be wrong. It's just um, maybe it's what they, they have been recommending to me. But uh, but it seems that uh, the shows they have now are sort of becoming a little bit. I don't know less aging
0: well I, I think it's on purpose i think what you're describing was their strategy just to replace like tv which again i think it was smart i don't think that changes but it's just that there's a different dynamic in the market now like you're not going to always watch like high quality intense you know like focus drama or you know, i don't know, just or like the best like uh series out there in between you want to watch something mindless too right so th- there is a kind of that that, you know, niche to fill a void to fill or it's really not a niche, right? It's just yeah. you're filling a, a massive void of, of t- general TV. Yeah. So cheap content does work, but you also have to mix it in with good content, too which is why people will subscribe to multiple things, right? So at the end of the day, like if they want to be more relevant, um, they still need to go have that like high-hitting, high-impact kind of shows too mixed in with their general TV. So it's getting a better balance, against, yeah, I guess. You know. I
2: don't know. So I think one thing Netflix has shown is that actually, I don't know local content matters as much as international content that's unique and interesting, right? Look at the success of Squid yeah. Game. Look at the, the success of Casa Del Papel, right? There's been like a bunch of hits that have become, sorry, oh. There's, there's been a there's been a bunch of hits yeah <laughs> it, was, it was not clear what this means like that meant very <laughs> something very different in the boys' school i went to so the the um i think like they've proven a, I mean, for example i don't know if this show actually exists but i saw a trailer a few months ago of a nigerian uh, girl who meets an indian bollywood boy love story and it's produced in collaboration between netflix india and netflix nigeria which is impressive right
0: two of the largest film places in the world actually
2: exactly exactly so that's kind of cool i gotta find that trailer but i guess the point i'm trying to make is they've proven this very interesting model of internationalization which is actually happening globally right now um and the um the idea of creating purely local content, I'm not sure how much of that is required because if you can make like one squid game, maybe yeah. better than 10 Malaysian shows that are not transferable. We're,
0: we're going to probably have a... Fr- I, I recently met the general manager of iQiyi the streaming platform from china in malaysia in the past month and he has a whole take on this i think we'll have to call him on for a special episode but like he wants to talk about streaming the iQIYI is focusing on local production content and they have a very good niche of chinese users here in in southeast asia so i mean and their strategy is to create content so but i, I think we could probably continue that discussion for for another day uh, um but,
1: any final thoughts before we move on uh Alex it's interesting you brought up ICE is I mean I have a colleague who used to work for there actually. Uh, it's, it's a company yes. in China that has this, uh, I don't know been in a very sustainable way, not being able to make any profit so for a long time. Oh really I, I thought would, they were quite massive in China They're massive but the, but I mean I think we, when they went for IPO in 2018 the, the price was 15 dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because people had hmm. so much uh, sort of a uh, confidence in China's version of uh, of, uh, of Netflix and uh, Netflix, I think about three months later, it went up to forty dollars. And guess what's the price now? One, three,
0: two, three, three, uh, three. Not so not so,
1: so, so, so I, 80 percent it... down from the listing price, or or uh... isn't that just like the the The
0: age old story of like Chinese companies failing to internationalize well. No, no, like no, no, is, no, this, no. is this like a wrong no. stereotype or they're
1: failing in China? They're
0: failing. Oh, they're failing in China too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they're just failing across the board.' They're yeah. failing in China because okay. uh, because the, the, the production cost keeps going up. and uh, as Andrew mentioned, right there's there's lots of overhead, et cetera, et etc. And also also, I, I'm not sure what that applies to to Netflix, but in China the, 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 there's one issue we you deal with production houses when you deal with continuity with, with actors is corruption. It's very, very difficult to stamp that out. And uh, and, and as a result, well, the, lots of money went into yeah. efficiency. But
0: uh, what is the Netflix of China then?
1: I don't think there's a Netflix of, of China. I mean,
0: there has to be because the two largest film markets in the world are like, say, if you're going to create media in the space
1: of you know, TV shows or movies, you're either going to the US or you're going to China. First, right? These are like the largest places. First, people in China go to cinemas and not so much this month, especially in Shanghai but pe- people go to cinema a <laughs> lot. I mean, I mean, if you look at the box office in, in China, the performance is phenomenal. And second, um, yeah. you've heard of this thing called TikTok?
0: Oh, uh, well, they, they don't, do they put full feature movies on TikTok? Well, I no, wouldn't be but, surprised if that's the future. No, no but, but,
1: but, but this is where people spend their, 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 their entertainment, entertainment yeah. time, right? Okay. Because, uh, I mean, you can say that, okay, f- full length is different from short videos, but, I mean, if a person is glued to to, to short videos and uh, and afterwards they, they, they will start saying that, okay, wow. I mean, my time is so fragmented. I'm so busy in life. I mean, I don't time. For, I don't have time for a full-length uh, uh, series. So, so why would I? Why would I keep my subscription for uh, IGE yeah. or whatever?
0: All right, let's let's move on. We'll have a separate episode for the streaming wars and and content. I think there's a lot we could go off that. But uh, last topic. Uh, well, the news changed today, huh? Elon Musk actually was successful and acquired Twitter. Before this was just a general discussion on Twitter and what was going on, but uh, oh, wow. I think Elon Musk closed the deal. The board approved it of something around $54 a share or something. Uh, Jack Dorsey's yes. making a cool billion. Uh, <laughs> everyone there's a lot of people who are making a lot of money off of this. Um, there's a lot of angles to this, right? There's the Elon Musk angle. There's the free speech angle. You know uh, there was the angle we were talking about, you know why' wasn't, why isn't Twitter as big as it's in Asia? Um, before we get into it, though, I'll, I'll give you some numbers. Though it's it's more just not as you know small as you think. U.S. is the largest in terms of users for Twitter with 77 million users. Japan is at 59 million users. India is 24 million users. Brazil is 19. Fifth rank is Indonesia, 18 million users. So the fifth largest user base in the world comes from Indonesia. Thailand is ranked number 10 at 11 million users. Uh, Malaysia is ranked number 19 at 4 million. It made the list of top 20. 20- Users so, uh, Philippines is also up there. Uh, Philippines is ranked twelve, I think. Uh, it's close to Thailand,
1: users around ten, uh, 10 million. Uh, or on so on. so how, how many users in Indonesia? Eleven. Uh no, eighteen. Eighteen. So that's a that's yeah. that's less than ten percent of uh, Facebook.
0: Yeah. So like, there's there's a few ways you could interpret that. Yeah. Like this, could this be a mass platform where there's huge user growth potential? Is that what? The right play is, or you know, think, are are you supposed to just focus on on the product, make it more sticky, and then you capitalize on existing user base? But like, people in Asia do use Twitter, think, not as much as the US or Japan, but like they're still using it in a significant way, I think, at least for a small percentage of the population.
1: I think it would be interesting to look at Twitter, Twitter, Facebook user ratio in different countries if we can see see, see any meaningful difference.
0: Well, that's the other interesting thing is that I think for like my hypothesis that our generation uses Instagram the generation above us uses Facebook yeah. and so that user base will be declining the younger generation uses like TikTok and other things right so I, I you know I don't know like if Twitter fits into this for, for Southeast Asia um and then how it will be used right it's in the U S is used as you know the, the tiny percentage of influence and it, it dictates a conversation and you know people cancel off Twitter all these kind of things there you know those that that's one percentage of people are, are addicted to it and the rest just follow it right so, um, but it's very different here so, so I don't know so question
1: for Andrew as the marketing guru I mean how much online performance marketing budget do would allocate to Twitter close to zero or have you close to zero okay <laughs> why
2: well, well, let's talk about this all right, all right. let's let's like I think we're hey, sound, let's
1: sound, sound. Oh.
2: is it is it working now all right yeah, got yeah, you better, yeah. Better, yeah. Yeah. got you perfect uh always put the long thing in front of your mouth okay so first of all like Jagan, that's a separate topic as a as an ad engine they've done terrible but we can talk about the details after this First of all, what, what is Twitter and what is it? What is the role that it plays, right? I think yeah. you know, Twitter is like the public townhouse, right? It's where people go to talk about what's happening uh, at that very day. Like, I realize when there's something big happening, right? If, like, there's a celebrity who's, who's, who's died yeah. or there's, like, an earthquake somewhere or there's, like, uh, Mexican elections happening and I just want to know what's happening, I get to Twitter. Twitter Twitter already right but ready is a bit different because like your feed is a bit messy right whereas mm-hmm. twitter you know hashtag you immediately are seeing all the news right no. uh, if there's a protest in hong kong twitter's for the news so twitter's almost done the equivalent of the first two pages of a newspaper in the 1990s right it's it's got a very different mm-hmm. role from what uh, from what other social media channels play right instagram you go to because you want to in i mean again instagram 10 years ago you went to because you wanted to see cool images from your friends and some images from like photographers and other influencers today you go there to see a bad ripoff of tiktok right because they've just made real stick over the whole feed i hate it but anyways that's instagram facebook on the other hand is like a weird portmanteau of twitter plus instagram plus tiktok plus twitter right it's like it's like all of yeah. them it's like it's like you get news from cnn then you get you know your your, your best friend in primary school's cat and then you get uh, you you know a forwarded message that your mom thought was cool to post from WhatsApp onto Facebook, and it's like a Christian prayer, right? And they're all in like one newsfeed. Facebook is just like completely irrelevant at this point, and they're you know potentially just acquiring enough users to replace the people leaving. But I I, I think like usage rates are going down. Now, so what does that mean for Twitter? I think it has a very clear role to play. In U.S. politics, for example, it's where you go to get information about what's happening. Politicians are pretty active on it. Uh, Donald Trump was a massive user of it. When there's M&As, when there's interesting um, uh, movement happening within markets, people go there for that news, right? And that's picked up in some markets more than others. I think there's a huge global potential for Twitter to be the public square for multiple countries, multiple organizations, multiple... um, when I say organizations, I don't mean corporations. I also just mean like for example, what a lot of people don't know is like on the the, the K fan, like the K pop fan community is really, really strong on Twitter, right? So mm. like there's like uh, I mean, I, I feel really old here. What's the word for K-pop K-fans? K <laughs> K-pop K-pop. pop fans? K fans? K K K pop fans. No, there's like a proper Twitter name for this. Holy shit. Oh okay. I, I
0: don't know. I'm far out of the Twitter you know, circles for K
2: pop, so and uh yeah let's go with k-pop fans but there's actually so k-pop twitter is a thing right it's like a massive community uh on twitter and so there's like all these like weird and like LGBT community there's all like specific kinds of hashtag. crypto bros ideas. crypto bros are massive on twitter you know there's all these like so i think twitter is actually like this really cool like public news feed of what's happening among the communities you're the most interested in in a very relevant like quick way but actually yeah. like there's three places where that happens right there's twitter there's reddit and there's discord if you think about it discord is more like yeah, private correct. rooms where people have conversation and you can have little forums yeah. so it's almost like slack for communities twitter uh, reddit yeah. is more like permanent forums for communities and then twitter yeah. is like quick bite-sized headlines from communities so each tree is community management platforms for specific for special interests but just like yeah. the, the chronology factor and the format of how that information is passed out is just very different right so i do think it has a massive role to play right so in yeah. effect what he's doing is this he's buying the most urgent headline producing company in the world right and this is like a yeah. really interesting play because this is elon musk's moment to become rupert murdoch right if you think <laughs> about it if you think about it journalism is dying yeah. in the sense like traditional pillar publications are just like disappearing if you want to be relevant now your post has to yeah. really perform well on one of the social media channels if not nobody cares about that news right and so there's a lot of ways twitter can be used because if you if you envision the future of news twitter really is it twitter really yeah. is the future of news right and Somebody who's smart enough to see that, acquire it, and figure out how to use it. And you figure out like news doesn't just come from like official publications, it comes from the mouth of Trump itself, it comes from the mouth of Musk, et cetera. It's, it's yeah. removing the disintermediation of the journalists, right? So it becomes its own way of, of publication. And the difference, right, when I said communities between Discord, Reddit, and, and Twitter is on Twitter, authorities are very clear, right? Yeah. Those authorities yeah. don't really yeah. exist on Twitter or on Discord or Reddit. So in effect, he's buying the ultimate mouthpiece that connects, like, authorities directly to consumers of that information, right? Whether they're celebrities, mm. politicians, uh, business people, companies, etc. Right? now So I think this is his Rupert Murdoch moment. Now, in terms of what he has to do with the company, it's a ten thousand person company with massive operating cost, seven right? 7000
0: so it's much smaller than the, uh, all the other it's very it's actually a very lean company relative to other not lean companies.
2: dude. seven thousand for the kind of operating profits they have it
0: could yeah so you can yeah you could cut even more I, I agree
2: but I mean like relative to other tech I think companies, it has to be crazy drastic. I think it has yeah. to be crazy drastic I, So I think the three things he's got to do is first of all like be very clear on the mission and the strategy because that's not clear right now they, they went through this phase yeah. of like trying to acquire Meerkat and go into video oh, yeah. and maybe You're go to some yeah. stories go live and then they went to Twitter it's what's happening sure. right uh, so I think a Twitter that is a little bit of Reddit and a little bit of Discord will kill it right yeah. creating communities and managing that number one number two so strategy super important but i feel like if this guy can figure out going to space and you know building an efficient car that's better than any other car built before right i think he can figure out how news will work right the second well, bit yeah. is like is like operating profits and operating um, margins right and just like completely killing it with how they do uh, like cutting costs and then the third bit is how do you generate revenues and this is the part i think is going to be really interesting because going back to our netflix story I think ads is in the way for Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think, I think Twitter trying to sell ads is a bit weird because it's not about people don't go there to consume content the way they do on Instagram and Facebook and yeah, having those right. ads are just weird. However, if you force people who build follower bases that are really huge to pay to become, cause right now they charge you 299 for the blue tick. It's a joke, right? Why wouldn't Donald Trump pay enterprise SaaS prices to have an ability to manage Remember, his community oh. a bit better? Right. So I think Twitter could transform in a model where they charge mm-hmm. people with communities as a community management platform and then build out tools for community management outside of, of, of uh, Twitter itself. And, yeah, that, that would clean up a
0: lot of the current complaints about Twitter with the bots, the the, you know, how people are using it to cancel. Right. Like it just once people have to pay. That that does probably solve a huge part of it. The, the other thing that I did like though was, no, but not consumers, yeah, like,
2: people who are yeah, correct, are, yeah, enterprise, correct. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, but like the other thing I liked was that he's in line with his general principles from his other companies, like Tesla. Like his IP is actually open sourced, right? from Tesla and he's going to do the same thing. He will he'll open source the actual algorithms, which are, again, right now, that's like the main reason why we're having all these quote unquote problems with free speech or, you know, hate and all this kind of other stuff. And, you know, maybe combined with what you say, plus the open source, it does lead to unlocking more value. What, what yeah. I don't know how that value kind of manifests. Like, is that for the existing base? Does that lead to further user acquisition? But based off the numbers that we talked about in terms of actual user base, it's still far from, you know, like this mass you know, globalized platform like Facebook so far from yeah. this. I don't so, think it has to be. be. It takes over. It, does, the, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. It doesn't have yeah. to be.
2: It doesn't have to be. And like, all the, honestly, it doesn't even have to be. A, it doesn't have to be that big. B, it, like ultimately, if you have a smaller business, but your operating margins are better then kill it. Right. I think, yeah. I think, yeah, I think yeah, first yeah. there's room to grow. I don't think it'll ever be as big, but then there's a massive space to grow in terms of like depth and then monetizing that. Right. Yeah. So I just want to say true. two things yeah. very quickly. Number one is he's got to like figure out how it monetizes and he has got to figure out quick because the the way the acquisition happened is it's two thirds backed on his own asset and one third. So it's kind of weird. He didn't do a full leverage buyout. He could have done like 80% uh, debt, correct? but instead it's one third debt, two thirds his own assets. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the way it works is if the price drops, he's got to pay 40% to the dollar on his existing stock on Tesla, which means like it's like, he's got to really make sure operating margins uh, improve. uh, Mm Um, so that they can immediately like pay back the debt, right? Which means I think there's gonna be yeah. massive layoffs on Twitter to begin with, right? Like, I don't good. think it's just like 7,000 to five. If I, him, like, it's going to be like half or more, right? Um, yeah, correct. I mean, just don't just don't fire the site reliability engineers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. But like, to start with. The second thing is, this is really interesting. People think he's taking it private, and I think it's not. Let me explain. There is a weird medium Between a company being private and a company being public, that Elon Musk has created, and that's the SpaceX model, right? So, SpaceX looks private, but what happens is once every six months, uh, stock in SpaceX is sold to a closed market of shareholders, right? So, people are allowed to exchange hands at a predefined price controlled by SpaceX once every six months, and there's a decent amount of volume that gets transacted, right? Mm And so mm-hmm. they've created this intermediary model of public private where he gets to control who buys and sells the stock of the company, at what price, and how that transaction happens, which is like almost unheard of for billion dollar companies, but he's cracked that model for, for SpaceX, right? Yeah. Which means and that when he wanted to take Tesla private, that was a plan. So him taking Twitter yeah. private actually isn't doing this, right? It's a it's a larger story here. Number one, he wants the Saudis out. Right? Yeah. He wants yeah, the Saudis out in a big way. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys know, but he was burned. The whole like taking—have you guys been following the news? like Correct. When he wanted to take I Tesla saw that. Private, yeah, he got burned by by the Saudis, right? So this is his like his his big uh, fu to to the yeah, Saudis, saying like y'all don't want don't like free speech. I'm gonna make sure free speech exists there by taking this company private, right? <laughs> On the flip side, Tesla's largest shareholders are Chinese. Right, Ooh, <laughs> which means yeah. which means now he's gonna the other way around, which is like Twitter's bad in China. China may like I think they may make life difficult for Tesla if Twitter has any anti-Chinese sentiment, right? So he's got like that weird balance to play. Um, but anyways, what I, what I just of the story is it's not fully private. I think he's gonna be selling the stock in six months' time.
0: Does does he end up fully owning a hundred percent of Twitter? How does that work?
2: Yeah, yeah. His holding company okay. will end up holding a hundred percent Twitter. Okay. But that being said, I think in six months time, he will do the SpaceX model and sell some of that stock in a, in a private market.
1: Andrew, question related to to the notion we, we mentioned just now that uh, zero budget, is, uh, almost zero budget is allocated to to, 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 to Twitter. And uh, I think we briefly touched upon the uh, the algorithm. Uh, I mean, I have a sense, I might be wrong, but uh, how much does Twitter know about this, its, its users? Because most of users will be passive or occasionally posting some comments. So, so you don't have the level of, uh, of understanding that uh, that Google or Facebook would have with these users. So, so, so you can't target the market.
2: In, in about six months' time, the level will be the same though.
1: Mm. So, 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 so which-, which... You, you
2: know what? sorry, sorry. Let me clarify. Yeah. Do you know why I'm saying that? Because of, first of all, Apple's changed its privacy settings globally, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But that's only 10% of the global market. Android's introducing the exact same policies in six months' time. Which means, in basically six to nine months' time, Facebook is never going to have the same level of data it did in the past, and we're going to get shitty ads across every platform.
1: So, so, so unbundling of ads. Sorry, unbundling of ads. Alex said, um, exactly,
2: exactly. I was
1: I was speaking with uh, with, with some friends at uh, who used to work at Twitter uh, this morning, and uh, and uh, I said, okay, what's the sentiment that uh, that you, you hear from your uh, your your former colleagues were still there, and uh, and the sense is that first, the, the ads team is really panicking because because they know for sure that uh, <laughs> that, that that Elon Musk doesn't believe in ads and he will probably move to a, one kind of a subscription subscription model, and uh, they're panicking because um, because honestly it has been pretty comfortable for them. Um, so, so of course, cushy. So, so so there's one choice for them is to go, is to go to TikTok, but many people are saying I, TikTok is a Chinese company, life's too tough there, and uh, and and they also have the <laughs> choice, choice of uh, going to Facebook, but uh, but apparently, I mean both Zuckerberg and uh, what's the other word, Sandberg were villains, and uh, the, the culture is toxic. So so basically, they're stuck in limbo, or as, as they say,
0: that's a completely different story, I guess. America is too fat, enjoying too much wealth just skimming off the cream. Um, so any final comments then, to Andrew, to that? Or
2: can we wrap this up? Um, uh, yeah, I can close it, and then we should wrap because I'm two minutes to the next call. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about acquisition, actually. I think like what he's done is clean the slate in terms of investors. I do think he has his heart set in the right place and he's course, got a big yeah. belief in terms of, and like a lot of people like why don't you use that money for you know uh, for charity i actually think free speech is one of those things that actually matter a lot and creating a impartial news site that has the right kind of rules around it is actually really important so i think he's doing the right thing here um but, and, i think it's going to be really interesting sorry go ahead
1: it'll be really interesting if 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 elon musk acquires a charity organization and try to make it more
2: efficient I, I think he will. Honestly, at this level, yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised if he does that in a few years time. Well, 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 Why not just buy out the World Bank, right? After I did. Well, he also it. he also
0: gave a middle finger to Bill Gates because Bill Gates was uh, short- shorting Tesla, and because then he said no to the was it um, the pledge as well. <laughs> so this is right. like multiple FUs, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I love having this like billionaire engineer at the top, right? Richest guy in the world who's able to make the decisions. I really hope he does get charitable in the future, but for now. You know, I think this is like a pretty good move. I'm really excited to see like first monetizing, yeah. like operating cuts, very clear what he has to do. I mean, he just has to make smart decisions, but the strategy and monetization model. And I guess in my head, I really want to see a weird Discord, Reddit, uh, Twitter baby get born out of Twitter. And I yes. hope that happens.
1: And and, 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 and maybe maybe Twitter will, will indeed become a web free company. That there's so many things that could be built yeah, into it. Maybe. Yeah.
0: That would be a great legacy for Jack Dorsey, you know. Um,
2: that, that's his internal project, right? His biggest priority project at Twitter was something called Project I think Project Blue, which is converting Twitter into a Web three based app.
0: Yeah, man, he's the OG of it all. So. Correct. All right, guys, great call. We'll let you guys move on to your next meetings. Uh, I think we had a great discussion, and uh, we'll see you back here for the next episode. Ciao, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.